Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm Chuck. Today's episode is brought to you by Lower Gentry Studios. Mark your calendars for December 17th, 6 p.m., the Linen Building, Boise Downtown. There's going to be an event called End the Stigma. It's a fundraiser for the Idaho Parents Unlimited, and you'll be able to catch the first episode of Canyon County, Lower Gentry's web series, at that event. So join us. Today, I talked to Christy Luster. Christy's a screenwriter, she's an actress, and we have a great conversation about film in general. Enjoy. All the lights are red, which means that this is on the record officially. Okay. Welcome, Christy. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. I'm glad you can make it. Yay! Um, we should uh, talk about a lot of different things. Yes. Um, I have a question, though. Uh, this is uh, a little bit off off the rails. <laughs> But, um, Already to start just, out the gate. Yes, I want to know about uh, best dip ingredient. What do you think, in your opinion, what is the best dip ingredient? Not the best dip, the best dip ingredient. Ingredient? Yeah. I, it's cheese, like anything that has cheese in it. Ooh. So like what about cream garlic? cheese. Yeah, I mean, I could live or I, I could be without, yeah, no, cheese. I could, I've been on a hummus kick lately. Oh, I love hummus though. Yeah, and so like uh, that's where I'm at with my garlic because you can't put cheese in hummus. Does that work? I don't think I've ever seen hummus with cheese. But yeah, like the roasted like garlic tomato kind of thing I've seen with the hummus, so. Yeah, I yeah. guess you could try it. I don't know. No, I've never I've never seen it with the cheese though. But yeah. I'm a I'm a, like a big cheese person, so anything that has, you Cheese know, is delicious. Cheese, like queso dip or cream cheese or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's my that's my go-to. Sweet. Yes. I I approve. Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh I brought you on because you uh Thanks for coming on, by oh. the way. Thanks for making it out here. Are you in Are you in Boise? No, we're actually here in Nampa. Oh, yeah. that's easy yeah. for you. A lot of people have to drive, and they're, they're like, I didn't realize you're in Caldwell. I'm like, no. <laughs> I didn't realize you it's were still a, just a Nampa. thousand miles away from Boise, which is what it feels like for everybody who doesn't live outside of Boise. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so thanks for coming on. Oh, um, thank you. You... you uh, the the first time I went to one of your script read throughs, uh, you're very knowledgeable as far as what it, it takes to get something funded, like an Ooh. idea funded. It seemed like to me. Is that true? <laughs> Have you done like a lot of research in that stuff? Uh, research, yes. So if it sounds like I'm knowledgeable, it's probably because I have been self-taught, basically. Okay. So, um, yeah, with that kind of with that project, and I think you might be talking about the Wreckers. Is that the first one? Yeah. You guys came to that table yep. read. Yeah, I went to that one. Um, so yeah, for that one, it was a lot of. It was probably a good six to eight months of just complete like research and doing any kind of YouTube tutorial or like any online seminar, any going to a conference and kind of listening to people talk, whatever okay. I could. But it was a lot of self-taught stuff in terms of like how do you independently fund a film kind of thing and right on. really just burning it into my brain so that we could get the film funded. I mean, we wanted to put together, I wanted to put together a smart business plan, a budget, know what we were talking about, know what our numbers were mm -hmm. and... Um, and then be able to sit in front of people and not sound like, hey, just give us money. Like I wanted I wanted to have the facts <laughs> before I'm like, oh, hand me like write me a check, hand me over all this money. Like, yeah. So have you have you ever done any of those meetings? Um, so we've never actually gotten the opportunity to sit in front of investors and do pretty much a hard pitch. It's been more like soft pitch um stuff. Yeah. And then um you know, there's some really good places online that make it available that you can do kind of online pitching opportunities, whether it's via Skype or you can even present um, written pitches online. So you put together kind of a two to three page you know, pitch document and then send material with the script and and uh, 
pitch to producers or managers or anybody that's looking for projects and kind of gives you the opportunity to even practice online. The Skype thing, I've done one of those. Yeah. Pretty nerve-wracking because you're kind of visual, and so it's just like, hey, you have 30 seconds. Give us your little quick elevator pitch. Do you, like, hold, like, a board up with, like, a pie chart, too, <laughs> so that they can see, like, the return, the I ROI? I didn't even really use the visuals that I should have, but— um, Hindsight's always twenty twenty. It is. It really is. But knowing knowing your, your genre, knowing your script, and knowing— um, it, I mean, if there's a market for it and there's an audience for it, and just having those kind of basic details really is kind of what grabs— um, people to start. So you could have a great idea, but they want to know, I mean, is it popular? Will it sell? Will it make money? Will it get viewed? Like if you've got all that data, you're really going to get more attention in terms of like when you're doing a pitch process. So so how many scripts do you have? Right now yeah. that we're kind of trying to actively do something with? Well, I mean, there's the active stuff and then there's just having the scripts there in the background, I would just about imagine. Because I'm aware of two of yours. Yeah. So I've got the two features, um, which is the rom-com and then the drama. Yeah. Um, I've got a short comedy script. And then I did last year write a short um, horror slash psychological thriller script for um, some people around town. Um, Sean Small and Angela Derisio were looking for somebody to write a psychological short script cool. thriller kind of thing about a serial killer, which is not my genre and something I've never done before. So I was actually hired by them and paid to oh, cool. to write a little script for them, which did a really good festival route itself. And um, Oh, nice. So now they're kind of in the process of um, we were going to move forward and do some production with it. And then, you know, scheduling things happened and such. And now it kind of sounds like next year they're really looking forward to uh, moving moving towards getting that done. So oh, OK. Yeah. So, so you have... I mean, there's a lot of different film is just crazy because there's so many different avenues to to uh, become specific or just generalize in a lot of oh, different yeah. things. Yeah. Um, you, you're you're a really good actress. Oh, well, thank um, you. <laughs> and like I've seen some of your stuff. Actually, one of the first things that I, I saw of yours was my there was like the actors workout that Matt Melton used to run. Oh, I yeah. Believe. Yeah. Like, this was like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my brother was uh, running camera for it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he came he came back because he said that uh, he wanted to or he was supposed to like edit the the, the clips together. Mm-hmm. And you read a, a monologue from Deadwood. Yes, he. Well, I think that was, was one that crazy. he did. That yeah, he yeah. was one of the ones that. Um, was that the scene that he did, the Deadwood one? Yeah, I think it was I've, a Deadwood scene. But and, anyway, I just remember seeing you, and I'm, and that is a very difficult. Oh my gosh. Uh, script to to nail as yes. far as acting is concerned. Uh, yeah. Especially cold. <laughs> well, cold, and the fact that I'm not great at at accents mm. or anything of that nature, even though like I love period stuff and historical things. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this accent. Because, like, I know all the the dialogue and the characters on that show have specific, like, distinct, you know, Mm -hmm. dialect and everything. And I was like, wow, I hope I can at least try to attempt to sound something like it. Well, it's always better (laughs) just not to try to do a crazy accent if you don't have it under control. Otherwise, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so, so... Really strong actress, in my opinion. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, but you also you also write a lot. Yeah. And um and it seems like you and Lee just you you guys just crank stuff out randomly almost or just <laughs> um I, I guess my question is uh what what area do you enjoy working in the most and and what's what's what are your goals with that and what kind of recommendations do you have because it seems like you have. From what you've shown me or what I've heard you describe with the, with the script writing, it seems like you 
have like a lot of knowledge and experience and in ways and, and interconnections with like online areas and getting your script like graded and, and stuff like that. What kind sure. of advice do you have for people that are that are looking to do that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, to answer kind of the first part of it is um, I, I mean, I've always been just at the foundation of everything a writer. I mean, just tried and true since I was a little girl. I mean, I remember writing when I was seven, eight years old, writing my little stories in my room and and kind of going into my teenage years of screenwriting, which was really interesting because, you know, a 12, 13-year-old isn't like, oh, I'm going to be a screenwriter. They're just like, oh, I want to write some stuff. But I was like, no, I want to be a screenplay writer. I want to write movies and and kind of went into studying that craft. So um, the acting kind of came almost secondary to it. And then, um, I mean, I love it and I love performing, but writing's always been, you know, kind of just at the the heart of where, you know, my, my passion and my love is. And so... Um, that's just kind of where I've kind of gone in terms of, you know, I, I always start with that foundation of writing. If I have an idea, I want to write something. And then if I'm in it and I perform it, that's great. If if I don't, then that's fine, too. Um, but, yeah, then as I've kind of gotten older and into, you know, these years of my life, it's been there's so much more opportunity now today to make your own stuff, get your stuff seen. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, it was like, if you don't live in L.A., you can't be a writer. Or if you don't, like, have thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to pay a manager and buy all this really expensive, like, screenwriting software and take all these big classes or go to some school, mm-hmm. um, you're never going to be a writer. But that's just not the case today. And so it's there's much more opportunity to get online and, and learn what you can and join groups and organizations and send your script out. So... You'd be surprised at the resources that are out there in terms of um, groups that you can kind of be a part of and and sign up to be parts of organization kind of, you know, groups that you can uh, network in and, um, you know, make connection with and stuff. And it's not only just the in-person things like you can attend film festivals, you can go to conferences, you you'll make connections, you'll meet people. But now with the um, online platform, and not only just social media, but I mean everything in general, there's just so many websites and some great huge like organizations that really cater to helping get writers work out there if you're self self made or self distributing, and um, you know that that you have to live in LA and have a manager is just really no longer the case anymore. I mean, I yeah, suppose especially with writing versus oh, yeah. you know performing performing. Uh, obviously, and stuff. you can't like. They can't cut you in with your webcam footage, right? No, <laughs> but but with the writing, what is, what you what would you recommend somebody do that has a script? Let's say I have a feature length script mm-hmm. or even a short film script idea, and I want to get it shot, but I don't want to be a part of anything as far as the production is concerned. Let's say you just want to get that idea out there out there yeah what, what do you recommend so you... yeah I mean I would you know definitely again like I said just kind of starting um online and, and looking up first getting your script registered um going through the WGA and getting the registration getting it copyrighted number one that's the first step any writer should take with any kind of script if you're going to send it out or try to get it in front of other people that's um, uh, that's really good advice yes um <laughs> it's funny because uh I've, I've heard a story about some from someone about uh their professor uh went to a creative writing course mm-hmm. in college and then uh a few years later he found out that his one of his professors had stolen some of the work of one of his fellow classmates mm-hmm. like yep. after they had graduated yes and so it like really upset but the thing is is it's it's you know he, these kids are giving them 
it's giving professors right right like ideas for input, and then right. some of them are unethical and just grab it and grab it, or and, like the con- they like the basic concept, and they'll take that basic concept and kind of mold it and shift it to whatever. Um, and and that used to be a huge fear. I think I think that those kinds of cases happening nowadays is very very rare. It's not as common as it probably used to be uh, like a long time ago or a number of years ago. But now today, it's just there's so much more. Um, opportunity for people to find out if you have if you've mm-hmm. done anything like that or taken their work and google um, docs is or, like time stamped about yeah. like when you wrote it to be pretty easy to prove i mean you that, could email something and yeah. then that will that will work in terms of like hey this is a time stamp and a date that you yeah exactly that you've mm-hmm. sent something this funny thing was that they used to say years ago when we were dealing in a world where it was a lot of paper copy stuff so you would paper copy or print off a script and then send it out to get registered or send it out to to be seen or be read um, but they always there was always something that I read a long time ago that was like you know a, ba- a basic way to kind of even copyright your own work is to print off a copy like a paper copy mm-hmm. put it in an envelope and mail it to yourself and uh-huh. don't open it so like ha- you've got that postage date there and you have this sealed envelope with your paper copy script so if anything ever comes up down the road um, you've got that envelope paper copy of your you know postage stamped script that could act as a copyright if if something ever came up. And I actually have one of those from like 20 years ago. Oh, wow. One of my scripts in a manila envelope that still has all the tape on it with a postage date <laughs> on it that I've never opened it. And, you know, that script hasn't gone anywhere. It's been in a drawer forever. But that's beside the point. But yeah, today now you can just go online to the WGA, cost you 20, 25 bucks, register your script. And at least you have some record and, and they log it and you've mm-hmm. got, you know, you've got some kind of... That's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, it's just the best thing to do. It really is. It's you. You never know a day. I mean, you can't. Everybody's going to kind of have the same kind of idea. I mean, there's so many things now where, you know, I'm. I've got a. I've got a script that. Um, our our comedy, for example, our rom com is, is about people who, are paid to wreck weddings, <laughs> and. Um, there's a lot of wedding buddy comedy movies out there. I mean, it's just that it's that basic kind of concept. And rom-coms are really successful when it comes to things like a wedding. That's just a basic topic that rom-coms gener- like they kind of generally gravitate towards. So we can't copyright that and say, oh, well, you did a wedding movie. That's a rom-com. That's just like ours. Like, There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. But the specific content in your script, I mean, definitely protect yourself as a writer. You want to make sure that, you know. If you have those interesting scenes, you want to make sure that nobody grabs those and uses them. Yeah, that's kind of to me. That's kind of what usually sets things apart. Is you have those specific, sure, you know what I mean, where it's like a realistic like situation. Yeah, you know that's regardless of like the the plot line. No way. Yeah, and and you can almost like take those situations and insert them into several different scenarios depending on the tone that you want to use. Right. Right. Exactly. So, best case scenario, just you know, copyright your stuff, protect yourself, and then. you know, where do people shop at? Where do you shop all your stuff? You got you've won money for your scripts and some awards and things like that, which I is have. super yeah. cool. Oh, you, thank you. You gave uh, you gave my brother and I and Zoe an idea that we need to start writing outside of our realm of 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 being able to execute it ourselves. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, I mean, you know, like there are writers that have launched their own kind of film careers just by basically writing a script and then selling it and not having anything to do with it, but it's been able to get their name out there, get them in kind of that, oh, uh, that path. Uh, what's what's a, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Well, yeah. He did that with, uh, what was that first 
that his first, first um the one that he he wrote he didn't direct it and I remember he complained about it. Um, it had oh the way it was made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was still a good movie. Oh my gosh! Now I can't think of the name of the movie. It has uh, Christian Slater in it, and anyway, it's I mean it's very well written. You can tell that that uh, are you talking about um, True Romance. True Romance. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Such a good. It's just, oh, that movie's. But I love that movie. I do too. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think it's, I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a well uh, put together movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell though that that Quentin Tarantino wrote it. Oh, it's good. It's and you definitely. Can t- and you can tell that he didn't direct it. Yeah. <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. But that's, I mean, we, Lee and I talk about that all the time. It's that, you know, certain writers, and it's so interesting because I was just at a conference this summer and they were doing a big panel talking about this same thing where how do you get your script seen and how do you get it out there and, you know, what distinguishes a writer that actually is successful and sells a script versus doesn't. And um, a few of the people up on the panel were saying, like, it's about writer's voice. And it's really interesting that, um, you know, you can read a script or see a film and without knowing anything, you could probably know if that person has that distinct enough voice, who wrote it or who directed it. That's just that voice and that tone and that identity is with that content. And that sometimes will set you apart as um, a writer or a director and kind of get your work um, a step above the rest. Because when you read something and you can strongly feel that writer's voice and that tone, it really does attach itself to certain readers who are looking for something like that. So like a Tarantino thing or a Rodriguez mm. thing or, or anything like that. And you know when you watch it. You yeah. know it's a Tarantino film. Like you just, you know. Even if it's just something he wrote, kind of like True Romance, which is interesting you brought that up because I never put that in my brain. But now that I really, truly think about it, yeah, you can completely tell. It's just two different things. It's, yeah, but, but it's you, definitely you his definitely... voice in terms mm. of like the – Dialogue, especially, and the dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like a, it's violent, and the, yeah, it follows that that normal right, Quentin right. Tarantino arc. But it's just his he he's he's a master, I think, of of dialogue. Oh, sure. And and even if it's unnatural, like he can pull that off uniquely. Sure. Oh, you know, yeah. Like unnatural conversations. He still has like that realm of realism. Oh, realism. Which, well, yeah. and I think that he's also great at putting the right cast or face yeah. to that dialogue too. And brought back John Travolta. I mean, from, come on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with that. So <laughs> I have other, other like movie type things I wanted to ask you too. Sure. But before we do that, let's. So what what should you? Where should people put their scripts online and what film festivals do you recommend well, submitting to? In terms of writing and screenwriting, they there's this thing kind of in the known screenwriting realm called like the top 10, which is the top 10 contests or festivals that you should always try to submit your script to. And they are the ones that by industry standard, like you can live and die by. And these are the ones that if you place well in or you get good feedback from or good rating from or good grades from, you know that you're kind of on a great path. And so the top five that I can think of right off the top of my head, and the number one is basically um, the Nickel Fellowship, which is the Academy um, Arts and Motion Pictures contest that they do every year. So the Nickel is uh, a contest that they do every year, and they get probably a good seven to 8,000 submissions Dang. for scripts do, each year. Do they read a big chunk of them? Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, everyone oh, gets read, and, and everyone awesome. gets, um, you know, at least two reads in the thir- first round and then if you move on to the quarterfinals then you kind of bumped up to a, a third round and um you know that's kind of the one that everybody every year is like if you place in the nickel or if you even make the top 10 or the top 20 percent they let you know mm. so they'll send you an email saying you know you didn't advance to the quarterfinals which is like 400 scripts out of 8,000 is Dang. the quarterfinals so 
wow. is a big deal. But they'll tell you. They'll say, like, here's where your scores kind of fell. You fell into the top 20 percent and, you know, oh. do this, do that. So it's it's a great it's a great platform to kind of get a measurement as to where you stand. How much does that cost to submit to? Gosh, cost me 65 oh. this year, I think. It's Just about standard. Normal, normal. I mean, yeah, fee. anything anything between, you know, 50 to 100 bucks is what you're going to generally pay for these things, really. And if you want feedback, if you want judges' notes, I suggest with with things like that, with like the Academy, like the Nickel, and then Austin Film Festival is another big one. Oh. Um, and that's, a again, seven 8,000 submissions that they get a year for Dang. those scripts. Um, get the judges' notes and the readers' feedback because these are strong industry people that are really going to tell you, here's the good things, here's the bad things, here's the direction you're going, and it's super helpful. The judges' notes that I've gotten from some of those bigger contests have been the deciding factor on – how well I've done in the next contest. Oh, and wow. I've, I mean, I've taken it to heart, and I really, you really do have to kind of step back and put your personal ego down and your personal mm-hmm. like love and your passion and your, oh, it's my baby, and I don't want to change that. Well, you know, you're a screenwriter, and you've got to really kind of adapt to a reader who's reading your script and if they want to see it on screen. And so take that stuff seriously. The reader's notes and the judge's notes are worth their weight in gold. And if you only pay 100 bucks for somebody to send you judge's notes and get you placed in a contest like that, do it. It's totally worth it. That's actually pretty awesome that you get the feedback. Is that is mm-hmm. that standard when you submit? Because you've submitted films to film festivals as mm-hmm. well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I, feel like, I feel like sometimes I'm just like, you, you're just you just throwing stuff into the abyss. Yeah. Oh, there is no way of knowing. Is. Yeah, Because you, you just know. get a form letter back if you're rejected. Right. There's, mm-hmm. one, there's one film festival that actually gave personal feedback um, to uh, one of our uh, films for Lower Gentry, and that was New York Rooftop Film Festival. Oh, cool. They were super awesome. Yeah. They actually uh, were like, hey, you know, sorry, and then we submitted to them twice, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, the, w- our two feature films, like, the first one, we learned a lot of lessons, and we're like, we're not sending it there, we're not sending it there. Like, sure. It's just like flushing money down the toilet. And it, it can be. That's yeah. cool that it's standard, though, if you have a script that, like, somebody reads it. Because I honestly question mm-hmm. if people watch the stuff that we send in sure. video-wise, you know? You, you never know. I mean, mm. there's, there's what do they say, 4,000 festivals and contests out there just in general, whether they're film or screenplay. There, there's, a, there's thousands of them. And you really do have to kind of do your your research and, and figure out what's going to be the best like path for you to go in terms of your film or your script. So, you know, with the big ones for the screenplay ones, you do pay an extra upgrade fee to kind of get that feedback. But it, again, like I said, it's really, really worth it. Some of them give feedback even with just your general submission fee. So I did one this year called the Finish Line Script Competition. And um, it was the general $50 fee or whatever that you submitted. But every single script got feedback. And then you had a chance to take the feedback, make changes, and then resubmit for free. Oh, wow. Which was awesome. And again, that one gets a couple of thousand you know, submissions a year and um, placed in the quarterfinals on that one. And it was because of a lot of the feedback that I got from the judges' notes, which was great. Things that you don't even think about because you're the one that stares at your script or your own film for mm-hmm. hours and days Ugh. and months. And you just, yeah. you feel like you know it and you feel, and you're just, your eyes start to bleed. And then somebody else watches it for the first time or reads it for the first time and they see things that you've just missed because you just- Use the wrong there. Yeah. You, <laughs> what are you doing? What's going on here? And it's it's definitely worth it. And it's super helpful to kind of step back and go, wow, I never thought about it that way. Or, oh, I didn't, I didn't even see that because you're mm-hmm. just not, your brain- Do you ever collaborate with anyone when you're writing? Um, yeah, with Lee. I've oh, okay. done, yeah, the collaboration cool. with him. And then um, 
couple of scripts that like I've, you know, what are, we've done a contest, like a 48 or something when we get together and write with people or anything oh, like yeah. that. And then of course I did Those Sean and Angela's. fun. They are fun. I hate prepare. I hate pre-prepping. We had kind of an idea one year and then we kind of put it into that, uh, that for the I-48. Mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know what I-48 is, it's an amazing 48-hour film competition where you're supposed to do the whole short film in 48 hours. You're, right, writing you're and supposed everything. to do it in 48 yeah. hours. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we kind of had an idea one year and then the, uh, like the next year we're like, no, nah, yeah. we're just going to we're going to take extra care to use the character and the prop and yes. do it all in one very meaningful mm-hmm. way within the genre. Right. And that was a lot of fun because it, it gives you all those. I think uh, I think it's really cool. And I, and uh, to have those artificial like blocks, it's not artificial on I-48. No. Yeah. But, but when you're writing, it's it's uh, super convenient. And that's something that my brother and I learned from I-48. Mm-hmm. It's it's good to have those those artificial barriers in place because it sure. forces you to think. Yes. More creatively into like how you're going to get these ideas executed and whether or not that's an idea you use now for this thing or if you just take it and put it in a box somewhere and right. save it for a rainy day. It, I mean, it really puts you on your it, like the 48s, I think, particularly for like Idaho's 48 and, mm-hmm. and what Andrew and, and Greg years and years and years ago were trying to do was really kind of, yeah, jumpstart everybody to thinking on their feet. And then really thinking outside the box and being creative and just go out and shoot something. And they were mm-hmm. really trying to generate that buzz of getting people around town to just go make stuff. And so that was kind of that first push in order to do the 48s. Over the years, it's morphed and changed and, and kind of done its own thing and kind of gone its own interesting path. And um, I think the people who really walk into it knowing what you just said, which is, hey, we're going to take what they give us. We're going to do it in 48 and we're going to really push ourselves and challenge ourselves to the limit and see what comes out you can have a lot of fun with it and you can learn a lot and you grow from it and it's a great experience there are others who take it super super duper seriously to where they have 30 to 40 people on a crew and they have a budget and they've already written out 20 ideas and they've got locations locked and then it's just like okay and then we just have 48 hours to shoot it like that mm-hmm. you know it's it, you can kind of approach it however you want and whatever works best for you but i think like what you said, Lee and I have basically, you know, when we've gone into the last couple of ones that we've done, it's just been like, you know what, we might have an idea or two, but you, know, whatever, we're just going to see what they give us and go from there. And yeah. that's what you, that's really, that's the point of it. It's just supposed to be like a, hey, let's just go have something like fun to do on the weekend and jumpstart our creative batteries. I don't want to sleep this weekend. No. Let's do this yeah. instead. I don't feel like sleeping. <laughs> Because, you know, we're old and we should just not sleep like we are 20 years old again. Like, that's what it feels like sometimes. Every time we do it and we're like on that, like, 46th hour, we're like, we're too old for this shit. (laughs) Why are we still doing this? (laughs) This is just ridiculous. And then we're done with it and then we're all jazzed about it and we're like, oh, let's do another one again. And then, like, remind ourselves to remember this moment when we're like, why do we keep doing this shit? Uh, Like, yeah. Well, it's really fun to to go watch it at the flicks and then if you make it to the finals to go watch it at the Egyptian theater. I mean, it's kind of one of the coolest things that you can do. It's it's really awesome that that exists Mm -hmm. in a town. This this size. Oh, yeah. Know, and there's a ton of people that turn out for it. You know? Yeah. And and I think the cool thing is, is at the end of the day, you have a product. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all probably just in general, even as creatives, because we're all just like creative ADD type people. I mean, let's face it, we're in film and we're writers and mm-hmm. that's just how we are. But what we suffer from is we get we have a lot of ideas. We get kind of jazzed and energized. We might get people together. We might do this. We might write that. But we never get to that last step where it's just like, here's the finished product. Yeah. Now, where do I go? And I think 
a 48 gives you that opportunity to feel like you finished and you have that accomplished final thing right in front of you and you can see it. And that's where it should be like, now we just need to keep doing this and just Mm. make stuff and get it out. Well, it's good discipline too. Yeah. Like I feel sometimes, especially um, when my brother and I first started doing the film stuff, sometimes you just get into this like slog. Oh, yeah. And it's like one of those things, like it doesn't matter. Um, I, I feel like it doesn't matter how much you love making films, short films, feature films. Like you get to some point when you're like, especially if you have, if it's the crew is just you and, and like two other people. Two other people, and you're just right? Like, you're just like, oh boy, <laughs> we're getting to this part. I think when you came yeah. over, when you and Lee came in, I was complaining about uh, about the ADR thing. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like one of those things that you have to do. Yes. And I, oh, yeah. I've spent probably at least 20 to 30 hours of my life like putting footsteps in mm-hmm. sound on uh, to matching it up to the frame and it's just right? like one of those things that you have to do it, it, it's it's unique though in film because you don't have that uh it's like if you're gonna play a, a musical instrument obviously there's those tedious things that you sure. have to you have to learn but it, it like it's grueling oh in yeah film, you oh, know yeah. and I've, I've played music and and you get that chance to perform but but uh the back and of all the work mm-hmm. that you have to input into into the film, like the writing process is mm-hmm. grueling, and the writing is, gets really grueling. It can. The writing can get extremely just. I mean, there have been things that I still just. I'm like, I get pissed off at myself because I can't get through something. Like, why can't I get through this? Why can't I pass? I mean, I'm on page forty five. And I'm mm. stuck on this one thing and I get hung up on it and I know where I want to go and I know what I want, you know, page 80 to look like, but I just can't get over myself and can't get over page 45. Like I just, it's grueling. It really is grueling. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is, you know. It's a really long first step. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then but, comes yeah. the production, which and is usually production. pretty fun. Like when you're filming and stuff, that right. that gets to be fun. And then you bring it all back and then like certain pa- aspects of editing are fun and mm-hmm. then. And then there's always just like there's it's and then you get to show it to people and it's like if it's an hour long that's like a lot of back work. Oh, I don't think do. I really don't think that people, and I'm not saying that people are are ignorant. That's not that's not what it is. But I really don't think that the general consensus of a lot of us indie people, like film people truly truly know how much back end work it is because mm. you think of the production aspect of when you're actually filming and shooting which can be long and grueling itself whether you're doing a two-day shoot or whether you're doing a you know six-week shoot and you've got long days uh, 16 17 18 hour days but it's when that fi- when you hit that final wrap on that final shot and then you have to do everything else on the back end i mean it's it, I don't think people realize how much actually goes into it. And and it's I like didn't a third, even know. Third, third. Yeah. Probably like third writing, third production, third post-production. I would just about and that I, for I, most people. Even in my mind, I think some films probably the post-production is even more the bulk of it than anything else. Like oh, you if could you shoot, do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can shoot something and shoot. He Half the superhero movies now that they do, they shoot in front of a green screen, which, yeah, yeah I mean, it can be grueling itself, but... You're in production for six to eight weeks, but you're in post-production for 10 months. Yeah. That's just insane. But, you know, it is what it is because then when you see it, you're like, oh, okay. Here, <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. That's awesome. No, it's – it's yeah, I mean, we. it's funny because we were just watching – we re we, so we rewatched the X-Files series and then oh. we – um. That's that's a good one. It's so good to go back and rewatch. Um, Terry uh, – Terry Gilliam? 
That oh, wait, wait, well, no, 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 no. Vince Gilligan. Vince Gilligan. Uh-huh. Terry Gilliam. I've been watching. I've been watching. Uh, what you call it? Uh, Monty Python. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say. Vince, uh, yeah. Vince. Vince Gilligan. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. He was one of the writers on X Files, and he wrote all the really awesome episodes. Yeah. And those people yeah. that aren't aware, he's the dude that wrote Breaking, what, Breaking Bad, Bad and, and, and then Better started, Call Saul. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's funny. I didn't even like remember that till we started rewatching it again, and. I was like, gosh, this has Vince Gilligan written all over it. And I completely forgot that, like, that's the right, that's the reason that they gave him Breaking Bad. I mean, not gave him, but really there was a lot of trust in him to take that series. And he, there were a lot of things he was very set on, like, no, it has to be this, it has to be that. And if it hadn't been Vince Gilligan, I don't even know if that show would have been what it was. But because of the success of X Files, and when you go back and you watch it, you can see it there. That's why Breaking Bad was as powerful as it was, I think, mm-hmm. is that he had so much practice i think with x-files and then we rewatched the x-files movie the other day and they had this really awesome like hour long hour and a half long behind the scenes thing right after we watched the movie and there were so many things in there about it wasn't just about them shooting it or talking about like oh here's the story and bringing back you know david duchovny and and jillian anderson but everything that went into post-production to make that movie look like what it looks like and bring the x-files to life there's so much more in post that makes that story and that show what it was that people don't realize other than the fact that yes it's Julian Anderson and David Duchovny and the writing was super strong but the post stuff that they did like the the fact that they have like 10 musicians sitting around watching shot by shot and screen by like scene by scene just to do the music and the scoring oh that's cool as they watch the movie was rad and everything that they did for Foley stuff and everything that they were doing for I mean art direction and set design stuff it was just I mean, killer. And you don't think about that stuff yeah. when you're just a writer and then you're like, hey, let's go make a movie with my friends. The music part is is tough. Oh, it's, right. It's fun, though. That's one of my favorite things ever and it, it's, to do to do the music thing. And that's kind of cool that they do because that's the way that we do our music, too, is it's hard unless you do like the Scorsese thing and you haven't already know like which song oh, yeah, goes in yeah, the background, yeah. like which <laughs> yeah. we, we can't do that cause we can't afford to like buy. I can't go buy know, rights to songs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but it's, it's kind of fun to say that's kind of cool that they did. So they had a whole orchestra for well, X-Files it watching it. Or? Yeah. It wasn't necessarily even, I mean, yeah. Cause like the Mark Snow guy, who's the, com- the composer for the scoring and mm-hmm. everything. I mean, obviously he, they would go in and record the, with the orchestra and stuff. But yeah. when they watched the first kind of run of the edit before they were getting ready to kind of really get, ready for the first screening um it was yeah it was the sound mixer and the a uh, couple of foley guys in there and mark snow and a couple other people and they all just sat around in i can't remember whose room it was but they just watched the whole movie and they stopped scene by scene and shot by shot and all of them in their own little ways of writing were writing down okay we should do this here and we should do that here and then it would go good with this and we should do that and it was just phenomenal to see something like that because those aren't things that you think about, but that is just what makes it so awesome to see a movie come to life. Like, yeah. it's just really cool, that kind of stuff. This, yeah, this, like the details and the sound and the visual are things that you don't even notice, but it's something yeah. that just really screws the movie up really badly if they don't do it right. It's so funny because it can be the most beautiful thing in the world. And we've been to a ton of festivals, a ton of festivals. And you can watch something and you're like, oh, this is shot really well, but the sound's awful. Mm -hmm. And it just ruins the film for you. And that sucks. That really, or like the music choice or levels of sound or whatever. It's like if if you're not careful, it'll take you out of that. I mean, obviously we go see a movie because we want to be in the fantasy land for like an hour or two. Right. And anything that jars you out of that experience is something that like makes it, and it's usually ends up being like a mistake or a bad choice or, or just like low yeah, quality whatever low quality whatever but it really yeah. it really does go to show how the psychology 
psychology of how we are as as viewers and as movie watchers can really be affected by those kinds of things. So, I mean, even genre to genre. So you can go watch a superhero movie or you can go watch a horror film and the way that they do sound design and the way that the music plays into it and, and sound effects and everything is crucial in order to ex- like have a good movie watching experience. And, and I think, um, I think that those are things that we just don't think about or people don't think about, but it really plays to a psychology of how you watch a film Yeah, and taking that, that stuff into account, even when you're making stuff, even us on an independent level, it's not just necessarily, and I'm a writer, but it's not just about the writing and it's not just about the camera that you buy and the light that you set up to shoot your shot. There's so much more that goes into it that you really, the, the little minor details are so important that sometimes yeah. I think get overlooked because we get so caught up in the, well, if we just write a good script and we get a, an actor and then we buy this $30,000 camera, uh, we'll have an awesome film. Well, yeah. there's way much more that, that is goes into a film than that. Like, it's it's interesting to... Je ne sais quoi. Like yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's pretty, pretty... I agree with you. Yeah. Oh, I have, yeah. I have some other... So normally what I do is I, like, kind of prepare, like, a list of questions. Mm-hmm. And we've been kind of chatting all all over the place, oh, but we, that's good, yeah. too. We're not the rails. Um, but that's that's awesome. I want to know what you uh, what your favorite screenplay is. My favorite screenplay? Yeah. Which, what do you think is the best written movie out there? To you, uh, one of your favorites, I guess. It's hard to always... Oh my gosh, that's so tough. Okay, so I'll give you, I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you my favorite movie of all time and then why I love the screenplay. But then the actual, like, my favorite screenplay of all time. My favorite movie of all time is Jaws. Oh. Um, Really? Yeah, which people probably were like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, And I, I, it's a movie that I've, that's been in my family forever. I was, Mm. so I was born in New Bedford, Massachusetts. They shot Jaws in, uh, on Martha's Vineyard. And I have family members who um, were career fishermen that were actually extras in the background for Jaws. And so when they were filming the movie there, and my whole family lives in Massachusetts, it was a big deal that they were shooting this movie there, Steven Spielberg and the shark movie kind of thing. So it, yeah. it's kind of been a, like a family tradition that's it's kind of ingrained in my my bloodline, per se. But um, I love that film. I just – I love the acting in it. I love the writing in it. I love the psychology of the story. I love um, – the book is great. I don't know if anybody's actually read the book versus actually seeing the movie. Oh, I've never but read it. The book is the book is phenomenal, and it's it's a really really good adaptation of the book to screen. Um, because I I just love how they kind of made that man versus beast translation to screen, and Steven Spielberg just did a great job of kind of bringing that to life and really making it. The book is more of just kind of like a uh, a psychological kind of drama. Mm-hmm. For me, but then when you watch it on screen, there is a horror element to it that just makes it very scary. This feeling of isolation and being out there on the ocean and being against this monster that you can't conquer, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, then that whole aspect of it being underneath the water, so you can't really see. And it. you can't see it. Awesome. Yeah, which is so cool. Which that's why I mean, I just love that movie. I just love that movie in general. Plus, Roy Scheider is like one of my heroes. I've, I've oh, I always loved him as an actor, and so he was just one of my favorites. So. Jaws, I think, would be kind of on the top there. But actually, my favorite screenplay of all time is Goodwill Hunting. Oh. Yeah. and That um, is a good one. It's it's so great. I, it's just the simplicity of it, but then the the character development and the way that they – I've read that screenplay. I can't even begin to tell you how many times. And, and it was one of the studies for me of, like, I want to write a screenplay like this. And so I was reading that screenplay over and over, and I wrote um, a script way, way back then. That was kind of like a, a 
drama, and I was basing it off of kind of what I read from Goodwill Hunting and about um, developing character relationship and understanding um, just kind of the, the arc of somebody's story on screen. And, and I love, uh, I mean, I just, I just, yeah, there's, I can't even, I'm just like gushing about it because I just love that screenplay so much. Yeah, that's but, a good um, one. Yeah, so it's my favorite script screenplay of all time. There's a, there's a lot of uh, what's what's an underrated one for you, you think? Oh my gosh, underrated, Oof. like just screenplay wise, per yeah, se? or movie wise, just because of the story being interesting. Oh my gosh, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, ooh, I don't know. I mean, there's a few that are like cult classics that I mm. feel like are much more underrated and popular for a different reason. Like The Breakfast Club is one of them for oh, me. Yeah. Um, again, there's another screenplay that I absolutely love, and then I love that movie. But I think it's just because of it being John Hughes and it being when it came out, and it's this, you know, teenage cult classic kind of film. But yeah. I think that that's pretty underrated in terms of, like, what that story actually is about. Yeah. And um, and the dialogue and the characters in that one, too. I think that's an pretty underrated solid. one. Yeah. That, Do you like Charlie that, Kaufman stuff? Um, it doesn't speak to me as really? strongly as... Have as, you seen Adaptation? I have seen adaptation okay. though. That's yeah, one, of that's one of my favorites. Yeah, well, I can, and I, you knowing your personality, I can see that. Not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> I can just see that for sure. It's just so meta. <laughs> it's so meta. Yeah, I love that. I mean, he literally like wrote a a, a <laughs> script about writing a. He made a movie about writing a script. I know it's awesome. Based on a book. Based on it, a book. Because he couldn't, and the whole struggle like is it's just so awesome because he's. The idea at the end of it, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. It, it opens up. It's like this movie is based on this book, and it's just him trying to figure out how to write a screenplay, a screenplay. about a book. Yeah. You God, know? I haven't seen that one in a long time. God, that makes me think I should go back And then he invented that. his own twin to like show like show. his own <laughs> internal conflict. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's been a while since I've seen that one. That's awesome. Yeah. His, his stuff is – his stuff is – see, there's there's somebody that you know like, oh, he wrote this. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, there, yeah, I mean, there's there's a number. I mean, the Coen Brothers, one of the... like, that's another one that you just like, yeah, that's a Coen Brothers oh, yeah, film. Yeah. Like, you just know it, mm-hmm. right? Just watching it. Again, another underrated one uh, and that has become a cult classic is The Big Lebowski, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, when that first came out, it was not as re- well received as uh, it is now today. But yeah. that's another great one that just like. And Raising Arizona. So that was one of oh, the yeah. first ones I saw when I was younger, too. Loved, loved, loved that movie. Just cracked myself up. And my mom's like, she, how did she doesn't even get half this humor? Like, why is she even laughing? But for some reason, I just got it. It just mm-hmm. like resonated with me. And ever since then, like the Cohen stuff has always kind of sat well with me. So yeah, I like pretty the solid. Writing. Yeah, they're pretty solid. I didn't, so, so I didn't know that because like Charlie Kaufman is like really weird stuff. But I, he used to write, I think it was like for the Dana Carvey show. Oh, I did not that. No, did I know that? Yeah, no, I don't he, think I knew that. Steve, uh, Steve Carell, yeah. and Steve, the other Steve, Steve, Steve Colbert. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think it was Charlie Kaufman was one of the writers on there, and it wow. was like an amazing. I don't, did you ever watch Dana Carvey show? Oh yeah, yeah, it was yeah. One yeah. of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ever. Grandma Clown was like the funniest character <laughs> that I've ever seen come to life in I miss sketch the, comedy. I miss those sketch comedy shows. I really do. I mean, I know we still have Saturday Night Live and and such, but. 
you know, there were some of them that it's were. It's hard to do good sketch comedy for a, a long time. I liked Upright Citizens Brigade a ton too. Oh I don't yeah, know if you ever watched them? That yeah. was weird. That was weird. The gun good. circle episode where they're like they're like kind of like playing baseball and there's like a gun <laughs> in the middle of the field, but the rule is that nobody's allowed to use the gun, and then some guy just grabs the gun Goes and starts shooting. shooting oh my god! You couldn't do that anymore. I think you'd just be like banned because of the shooting stuff. I is, suppose. That's isn't that bad. funny though? Because I've actually been talking about that lately. There's so many things that I'm like, there's no way you could do this today. Like we watch old stuff and I'm like, yeah. you couldn't do this today. You couldn't write this or this would never go on. People get, aff- do people get, I think people get offended too easily. Um, I, I do. I think yeah. people don't take themselves. Um, I think people take themselves way too seriously and not step Is that back social in. media? Is that what the cause of that is? <sighs> the know. internet, social media, You're, who knows? I, I think that since you are a writer, you have to be like some sort of at least amateur psychologist. Like that's to me, like anybody that writes, especially I studied psych in, in yeah, college yeah. and like my brother went to, to school for creative writing, but we still, you psychoanalyze people no matter what. You've got to. I mean, you have to, there's got to be some level of, yeah, you might have a good idea, but if you don't understand how the nuances of people's brains work, like mm-hmm. it, it, you're not going to, yeah, you just, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Because you don't even, you, you never, you have to avoid, you know, the characters stating how they feel. Yes. Like, and so you have to figure out ways that people would do that and you have to get into their shoes. Mm-hmm. And, so and ways people would do that, that it's natural, that it's not, it doesn't seem like they're just trying to like purposely make a statement, but that mm-hmm. they really, the psychology of these people is that they actually believe what they're saying and it's just, for them, it's normal. Like, yeah. so there's normalcy in the absurdity of what we see as absurd, but for them it's normal. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like, we're huge, huge fans of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Is because, it, I mean, there's not there's not a better show, I don't think, that has completely mastered the ability to be, compl- like, sarcastic, mm-hmm. but just show the complete absurdity of what we are today in society. And these people just, it's just normal for them. Like these characters like, this is just normal for us. But we're like, that is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. And they're like, I knew those people. (laughs) I knew them in real life. And I think we all know those people. It's so great. It's crazy. Um, yeah, that that episode where they all um, one of my favorites ones is from the first season. It's even before Danny DeVito gets on there. It's Mm -hmm. when they are all, uh, uh, they start accidentally. Sell- they're not carding anybody at their bar. Oh yeah, and yep. so then like all these like sixteen, the underage 17, drinking uh, yeah. one. Yeah, and so then they- and then they all get in a competition <laughs> to see who can go to prom. Who can go to prom? And then with Charlie the- goes stag. <laughs> well, just- I think it's Matt goes stag. But oh, Matt, like, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Charlie ends up with the girl that talks and gossips the whole time and mm. yeah and then it, it really goes into their kind of these 30 year olds like dating, dating like like teenagers and then like <laughs> basically like judging themselves off of the fact that like well you you got asked and i didn't get asked and like the whole episode is about them analyzing themselves in the uh, comparison of these 16 year old kids it's awesome it's they have no empathy no. which is so mm-hmm. awesome There's, yes. and, and it, it, it's kind of true that you do every once in a while run into that conglomerate of people like mm-hmm. in real life where it's like wow these people all get along together because they're all just completely self-absorbed. Yeah, they're just crazy, and that's that's totally fine. And it's yeah. But I think if you can if you can write that and and make it good and laugh about it and create a sense of like, hey, we're kind of shedding light and putting up the mirror to either ourselves or to other people, but you know, putting some humor into it. I think that that's just what really makes it successful. And and I like that. I like Glenn Howerton actually did an interview about that where he was talking about like. 
you know, they they were asking him, how how do you get to this point where you're playing almost a sociopathic kind of character and you just seem okay with it? And he's like, I, I have to. I have to be able to go that route of writing and going down that road of laughing at myself and almost making it so just outside of the normalcy of life. Because if not, then we can't, if we can't laugh about this stuff and like bring light to this stuff and really like evaluate ourselves, then we're, we're all going to, we're going to get lost. We're just, we're all going to die. We're all going to drown in whatever we're drowning in right now. And so he's like, this is our <laughs> Literally way. Literally right now it's with like social own, media. It's their own therapy and their own coping mechanism. And I think, I think writing and film kind of gives you that ability to even do that. So you might have a good story or you might have a good idea that you want to evaluate or, or write, but if for a lot of us, for a lot of people, like even Lee and I, like for us, it's just how do we put something on screen that just kind of helps us get out our stress or attention or our creative whatever or, you know, deal with what's going on in society right now. Like you write it and put it on screen. I mean, that's the best way to do it, yeah, I think. Totally. I, want, I bet those shows at some point just start to almost write themselves when the characters are that. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't not to undercut the, the writing ability, but I bet, sure. the, I bet some of those you just go into dreaming about those situations that would be awesome to get to that point yeah i would <laughs> and i think that for me success as a, a writer we, i mean on, on our show it's it's a lot it gives you a, a stronger ability to do that but either a having such a strong writing voice that you're recognized for that or directing mm. voice or, or tone that you're recognized for that that's success to me or being on a show kind of like that where the characters they become the show and so the plot lines and the stories every week or every episode are the underlying thing, but the characters drive what's going on. And I think when you can write that strongly and bring characters like that to life that actually just make and drive the show, I think that that's a success. Because you can have a, you can have a show that's got a, a great plot and a great arc and a great story, but if those characters aren't something that people have attached themselves to and like really want to care about even though they shouldn't care about them, yeah. Speaking of Breaking Bad, like Walter White's character, I think, is probably one of the most powerful, iconic um, and horrific characters ever written for television. Oh, yeah. And the if fact not that, ever. Just if because, not ever. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah that it's was just, such a cool trend. I just watched that again over the oh, summer. That's another one he's I've got to rewatch. Just, uh, he's, just he's such a wimp like, at the beginning. Like, he's just a big wimp. He's just a, and then it's like a spectacular fall from grace. Uh, like mm. I, It's one of my favorite arcs to watch like for us i think again for psychology we always want to see like the hero win in the end right or we mm. always want to see them overcome and then you know happily ever after or whatever kind of thing and that's one of those shows and those characters where he just keeps going down further and further and mm. further until like at the very last bit you're just like this is the worst piece of shit human being i've ever seen on screen and yet you still care about yeah him. that is that's a strong writing team and and the fact that Brian Cranston brought to life what he brought to life with that character but like at the end where you're just like you're a piece of shit and I want you to die mm -hmm. you're awful and horrible but oh my god you're like the best thing I've ever seen that's awesome and I think that's success in writing for me is if you can write something that powerful I was watching an interview and they wrote themselves into a hole on that RV scene where mm -hmm. Jesse and him are in the RV mm -hmm. They didn't have an outcome plan for that. No. Mm -mm. Which was super cool. Yes. I'm like, that's awesome. And so then they had to figure out the phone call. I don't want spoiler alert. Yeah. 
If you guys haven't watched Breaking Bad, if you haven't don't. watched Breaking Bad by now, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Well, that no. Lee has not watched Breaking Bad. Oh boy, I'm I gonna have to give him some crap for I that. Mean, then I know there's a few things that I'm like, how have you not watched this show? But you know, nowadays, like you, you can go back again. That's it's on the Netflix. awesomeness of yeah, it's on Netflix. You can go back and watch stuff now, mm-hmm. which is good. and you should like again another thing for a writer. Don't just write. Read and watch and study everything you possibly yeah. can. Just read everything you can, even if it's not something you would read or you would watch or you would like. If you hear that it's really good and it's not something that you would gravitate towards, watch it anyway or read it anyway to get a sense of why. If it's well done, yeah, yeah. If it's well done, usually they have that that like universal aspect to the characters sure. that you can relate to. Like even like with Walter White being a, a drug kingpin, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's, he just had that obsessive uh, drive. Yeah. And he s- thought it was for money, but it wasn't. It no. was about power and control. It was power. And yeah. he wanted to, it's just like anybody that's obsessed with mm-hmm. any type of, of career. Sure. They're going to lose their, their, their family. Their to, sense to, of identity. Yeah, yeah. To pursue it because pursue they don't, it. They don't care about anything other than reaching the next step, next step, next, next step. step. Yeah, yeah. So Which is like... funny too, because the 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 crux of the show obviously is about him being a, a drug kingpin and mm-hmm. and and making meth. But truly, what happens to him is that he actually falls into what we would consider addiction, mm-hmm. even though he's not addicted to anything, but he is. And so it's his his character is actually like the addicted one mm-hmm. when he's making this stuff that he's trying to get everybody else addicted to. And so I think that that's really a cool, interesting yeah. look into it because we always think like, well, I would never do that. Well, I would never do that. Well, but would you? How do you mm-hmm. know? Like to watch somebody kind of go through these aspects of how far would they go or what would drive you or, you know, it really makes you ask those questions. And I think that's kind of cool. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and like you said, any type of movie that uh, you wouldn't even necessarily – um, gravitate towards, yeah, yeah. As long as it's well done, sure. You know, yeah. Like I'm kinda... not, I'm not a Stranger Things fan. Mm-hmm. Everybody swears up and down by that show. Oh. And I've tried to watch it several times, and I haven't even gotten through like the end of season one. And I don't know why it just hasn't grabbed me. And, mm-hmm. and but I can see why there is a draw to it. Yeah. And I can see the element of the characters being kind of an attachment for people. Sold on the synth track like yeah. at the very beginning. That's I all do, it took for me. I do as love what the, they did with that, though. Yes. It was just like that 80s it's grain that with 80s the synth. Feel. And I'm like, no, nah, this is, I'm not moving from this couch till it's over. <laughs> till it's over. I don't know. I don't know what it's been. And then Game of Thrones, too. Like, I'm a, I'm a big fantasy reader. So I've like huh. written or um, read a lot of fantasy stuff since I was a kid. And so I read Game of well, Song of Fire and Ice and I read Game of Thrones a long time ago and um, never was able to get into the show. And I don't really? know if it was because I just, I already I knew the books. Show. Oh. But I, I, the show was just like, oh, it's just, I don't, hmm. I don't, okay. It's and, actually, yeah. I haven't read the books. Okay. Because I, I love the show so much, I don't want I don't want the books to throw me off. And that's fine. <laughs> but, like, uh, that's fine. It's, yeah. Now that they're, they're past uh, George R. R. Martin's where he is, yeah, yeah where he wrote. So, yeah. It's, so that's going to be, I don't know, It's uh, I, I like it a lot, and I don't. It I think was, it's because of the aggression, too, like the violence, and that I really, since Braveheart came out, mm-hmm. when oh, I was, yeah, yeah when the first time Braveheart came out, uh, I just fell in love with extremely violent <laughs> extremely movies, which violent stuff. I don't know what that oh. says about me, but. <laughs> no, it's an ex- exploration in, yeah. in kind of our deep human psyche of how we would <laughs> deal with things, and Game of Thrones is like, I mean, you can't get more like, here's sex and then here's violence and that's Mm -hmm. just that's how nations and people and societies have 
been able to kind of thrive all the war and and sex like that's it that's yeah. just the driving nature of the sh- of the story dragons are cool too and that too yeah, yeah. i mean i'm kind of cool too but yeah so yeah it's pretty interesting i was going to ask you um do you about documentaries i had a question here about documentaries oh, sure. I don't know if yeah, there, yeah. do you have, do you ever watch any documentaries do you have any documentaries that have ever changed your mind about anything about anything yeah um yeah, I mean, there's probably, gosh, again, just being a huge festival goer, of course, I've sat through like a number of documentaries. Um, there was a documentary that I saw, of course, I mean, all the standards, like you can, you know, whatever, Fahrenheit, 9-11 and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But um, there was a documentary I saw at South by Southwest in 2000, I think it was. Oh, you um, really do go to f- film festivals. Yeah, I, w- I actually worked for South by Southwest for five years. Oh, really? Yeah, I was a. Huh. I started off as a volunteer, and then by my last year, I was kind of uh, running the registration area. So it was pretty cool. Dang. Yeah, or one of the people that was helping lead the registration area. So that's cool. Which is actually where I side note where I met Quentin Tarantino was at South by Southwest. Oh. Wow. Um. Yeah. I have actually a funny story about him, but I'll get to that in a second. Okay. But um. Yeah. The documentary that I saw that year was um a documentary called Journeys with George. And it was um, about the press corps and um, George Bush, uh, George W. Bush's run for the presidency. And so them kind of following him around as he was kind of on the election circuit and, and up until his um, election and him winning the presidency. And that was such a fascinating documentary for me because at the time I, I, I tend to lean a little more liberal than I would mm-hmm. say conservative. And in my mind, you know, I – and I was 19, 20 years old at the time. So I was a lot younger and not as much you life just, experience. But I, I never would have gravitated towards like liking a president kind of like him and, and going in that direction. And this was right before 9-11 too. So this wasn't mm-hmm. – this was before that. But um, I found myself liking him so much just because of that documentary. Because huh. it gave a side of him and showed a side of him that just made him a real human and a person and took away that presidential shell yeah. and gave kind of an insight as to just the nature of what it must be like to to have to step into that role and that weight and responsibility of taking over the presidency of a country. And um, and there was just so many funny moments in that documentary about, like, just him. He's just such a funny guy. He's like What's super it called? Journeys with George. Journeys with George. Yeah, super maybe personable guy. If President Trump is watching, maybe your PR department <laughs> needs to be working on a documentary to show your lighter side. Show, show your lighter side. Yeah, it was, it was super. And, I mean, we all know that George W. Bush was a little more on the, like, out there kind of kind of level but he was it was just such a great oh, documentary man. and i remember walking away thinking like i like this guy and i mm. would never probably vote for him or have voted for him but the documentary really really changed my perspective and i think that that's the power of of documentary is that it, it can as a documentary filmmaker you can either really truly like have a point and a purpose of i want to mm. drive the audience to totally believe this and i'm just going to throw everything in their face that yeah. will make them believe what I believe. Or you can present a, just a picture of something and, and a different side that you would normally not necessarily get to see and let people kind of form their own opinion about something. That's kind of cool. And those are the kind of documentaries like, I yeah. love. Because sometimes when you watch, uh, what's his name, Michael Moore, it yeah. feels like you're, you know, you're kind of being sold a bag of goods. Yeah, you're being you know, driven in a direction that, you yeah. know, truly, yeah, <laughs> they want you to. That's where you're supposed to that's be. That's where you're supposed to be. And then what was the... 
I think Lee and I just watched it recently too, but the one about the fa- the faking of the moon landing kind of thing, <laughs> which obviously has been around for like that theory That's and so everything awesome. has been around forever. But we watched a documentary on I it. I want to see a flat earth documentary. And I, would, yeah, cool. I totally want to see that. That would be, yeah. why make it? Why I guess I should. I mean, it's flat, so <laughs> I just got to prove not? it. I just got to prove it. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there that'll agree with you, so go film them. I don't feel anything around on my feet. I know. I don't know what's flat going on. When I look at the ocean, it just looks totally flat. <laughs> no, it's funny. <laughs> uh, I want to hear your story about Quentin Tarantino. Mm. Okay, so at um, festivals like that, South by to pick up your your badge and your credentials and everything, you have to present your ID. And I think at the time we had just uh, they had just set up the thing too, where you did a thumbprint because they got those new like Apple computers or I can't even remember those like Mac computers. Remember those round Mac computers that had like the I'm colors Mac. on the back of it? Yeah, mm-hmm. or whatever they were. Yeah, I remember those. So we those. had those. It was our first year Because it was a CRT monitor, but it was still yeah, all in one like, big thing. All one big thing. It's like, thing. let me bring my computer. I know. We just like yeah. carried it like this. And it was so... like an egg. That was in the scene. They used one of those in the scene in uh, in uh, Ben Stiller's, uh, the where he plays the male model where the files are oh, in the yeah. computer. Oh, um, yeah. Zoolander. Zoolander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The files are in the computer. The files are in here. I love that movie. Okay. Anyway. Um, but yeah, no, it was the first year we had, we were using those computers and, um, so he, he comes in the registration room and it was in a, in a big ballroom. And so you can kind of see who's coming in and certain days it was busier than others and, you know, lines formed here. So like filmmakers checked in one line and, and, you know, whatever. And I'm kind of over on the filmmaker side and, and he's kind of with a couple of people and he starts walking up and everybody's like, psh, 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 psh. And we'll like hey, he's Quentin Tarantino. And he walks right up to the booth and I'm standing there and. He's like, oh, I'm here to pick up my credentials and pick up my badge. And and I'm like, oh, okay. And, of course, we know who he is. I mean, clearly, we know who he is. And there's that big sign there that says, like, oh, you must present your ID and, you know, photo ID and all that kind of stuff before you can pick up your credentials. And he's patting around himself. And he goes, oh, shit, I don't have my wallet. I left my wallet at the hotel. Like, I – Oh, well, okay, hold on. Let me me go across the street because his hotel was across the street. Let me go across the street and go get my wallet. And we're like – no, 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 it's okay. Like, we we clearly know it's Quentin Tarantino. Like, yeah. we know who you are. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to do it the right way. I'm going to, I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to go get my wallet. And he turned around and walked out. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and five minutes later, he walked right back in with his wallet and had his ID. And it was funny because we were talking about it the whole time. Like, we clearly we know who you are. Like, it's you. That's but he, he left and went back and got his wallet at the oh, hotel. Wow. That's so he could bring it back and show his ID, and it was, it, yeah, it was really cool. It was a cool little moment to, to meet a. I, I met a number of celebrities, but that was like a really funny little story that I had about Quentin Tarantino. When, uh, when I was in uh, living in Sacramento, I worked for a bank that had a branch across from the Arco Arena. Mm, mm-hmm. So uh, the Sacram, the some of the Sacramento Kings players used to to come in and oh, they yeah. would bank there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, it was really funny because like. Uh, one of the the women at the branch had a, a story that she was a friend of mine, and she doesn't follow basketball at all, you know. But so she carded like this. Mike Bibby was the star point guard at the oh time. Oh my gosh! And so she carded him, and then got like yelled at, and then she wouldn't back down. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. And they were like, "Oh, you know who that is?" And she's like, like, "I don't know who he like, is." Turn around, look at the TV. Like <laughs> they're playing highlights of him on the game, and it says Mike Bibby underneath, you know. And it, and so, but she wouldn't back down. I thought it was pretty awesome. That she's is like, that's it was funny. like the opposite scenario. She's like, I and then his mom was there and like yelling at her too and she's like I don't care I don't know who you are give me your know. give me your driver's license but he had it in his pocket so yeah, was just a, kind of being a but jerk. still that's I mean I love yeah. stories like that because you know not everybody knows who everybody is kind yeah. of thing you I can't mean, assume that you know people know who yeah. you are athletes for sure because like mm. if you're not a fan of the sport and don't know who the athlete is yeah 
I mean, that would be a whole different ballgame of whatever. But yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting. That's cool. Yeah, celebrity stories are funny. Yeah. They're fun. Totally. Yeah. Well, we are at an hour. So oh my gosh, have we been yakking for an hour already? That went super fast. It always oh goes God. really fast. Yes. But uh, anyway, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to switch the chair out and bring Lee, but we're going to air these on separate weeks. Yes. So yeah, but Lee will It'll come be talk. fun to and see Lee next week. Yeah, and he'll talk about all the other cool, inter- he'll, call, he'll talk about interesting, cool stuff, because I just yacked about nothing, so. I thought it was fun. Thank the real you. star is going to come on and start talking about stuff now. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right.